This is Future You with Jeff Salingo and Michael Horn. Welcome to this episode of uh, Future You. We have with us today Bridget Burns, uh, who's the executive director of the University Innovation Alliance, um, and actually in some ways is partly responsible for this uh, podcast because a couple of years ago she encouraged me, Michael, to uh, to start a podcast, and it just took me a, a few years to, to get this going and so to find a great co-host. You. I will say thank <laughs> you, Bridget, because I'm glad you uh, suggested it to Jeff. Oh, good. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy that you uh, followed through. You know, I've actually recommended that to a couple folks who I thought had an interesting perspective and, and frankly we need more unearthing of wisdom in this space and put in a just in a format that can be useful to people so I listen to podcasts all the time and I was just like why is there really like there's like four yeah there's not, there was not a lot uh, a couple years ago no, but no. but it's exploded since and so obviously you've uh, started a pretty neat organization University Innovation Alliance bringing together several public institutions to share practices, think about how to innovate, to pilot things and then spread and so forth. Can you describe what, what it is you actually, before we go there, the question we always like to ask, yeah. gee, I, I'm, I'm out of sync, uh, is uh, just actually take us back. How did you get into this crazy field of higher education to begin with, uh, just from the starting point? So I was one of those kids who had my life changed by higher education. So, and, and I'm every administrator I meet, every faculty member, it's like they all have the same story that I do, which is, um, you know, I grew up in poverty in rural Montana. I wasn't really supposed to make it to college. When I managed to get there, um, I was, I had some basic expectations. I really thought that the grownups would keep an eye out for me and that, you know, I would, you know, if they were going to tell me to take out student loans, that was clearly going to be the right decision. And um, I found that nobody was really watching. I found that um, it was a space of really trying to figure it out on your own. And um, through a lot of meandering turns, I randomly got appointed to the State Board of Higher Education in Oregon. And I was on my very first presidential hiring committee when I was 22 years old. And Shortly after, I was involved in the non-renewal of a college president. Multiple college presidents um, have have sat on lots of hiring committees, have evaluated presidents, helped organize them, coordinate them. I ended up taking on government relations for seven institutions in Oregon at one point, became the chief of staff and the senior policy advisor for the system. And I just had seen campuses making the same mistakes over and over, and I really saw that there was some there were some questions that I had that I needed to unpack. I needed to understand. You know, why are some of these people seem like leaders and want, some just seem like managers or administrators that climb the ranks? And why is it that higher ed is literally chock full of the smartest people in the world, and yet we have some very basic problems that we never put our own energy toward? Hmm. And why are campuses always throwing elbows when it doesn't actually seem like it serves students or the greater good? So I wanted to understand those things, and so um, I had the fortunate opportunity to become an ACE fellow, and I spent a year really kind of looking at different college presidents, different institutions. I wanted to understand, you know, there's a lot of hype around innovation. And I, coming in a space that nobody was talking about that very much, I wanted to understand, was that real? Or was that just great PR? Hmm. And in many cases, it was great PR. um, But I found that there was actually some substance behind the places that were more innovative. There were things they did different. There were things about the leaders of those institutions that was really different and how they structured their days, how they structured their interactions with their teams. And I realized that the big problem facing all of us was diffusion. Ideas just don't spread. Um, they, we, we think that writing a paper 
that nobody's that four people are going to read. We're going to a conference, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're going to a conference where you're exhausted at the end of the day, right, and you no don't energy. even yeah. you have no idea what to do next. And you come here, and you know maybe you have you've become you know you can evangelize about something, but you have to go back home, and nobody's on the same page as you. I just feel like. Um, we're really smart people and we have very basic problems and if we just put more heads together and created a space where we actually allowed for national leadership to come forward I actually think we could do this I think we could close the achievement gap so that's my background so you created this thing uh, or helped to create this thing called the University Innovation Alliance uh, 11 public uh, uh, universities uh, that, that, that cooperate uh, primarily to help serve uh, low-income uh, students around student success so talk a little bit about how did the 11 universities kind of come together? And, and more importantly, how did you persuade them and how do you continue to persuade them to work together? Because in higher education, most people, it's, it's, it's very competitive, right? And most people like to compete with each other, not necessarily cooperate with each other. So I didn't actually come. So this is something that's really important is that it was actually not my idea. This was the idea of 11 presidents and chancellors who united around a shared problem. And they were all equally frustrated about the fact that ideas were not scaling, that our achievement gaps were growing. And gosh, you're doing that program? Gosh, I didn't even know anything about that. Well, we're doing something kind of similar. Um, oh my gosh, we, we repeated the exact same experiment as you. Like this, again, the diffusion problem. And so it was the idea of these presidents and chancellors, most of whom were former first generation, low income or students of color. And I was free labor as an ACE fellow. And so while I was the only FTE for a couple of years, it's really been a collective effort of tapping into the leadership of those, those leaders, um, figuring out exactly why they were committed to this and figuring out the challenges on their campuses, building teams, mobilizing teams on their campuses, and then bringing, um, creating different experiences for those campuses to come together where they could actually see each other as human beings struggling with the exact same problem. Because that's what I see over and over is people do not realize every single financial aid director has that problem. Every single director of institutional research has that problem. And it's the fact that we are obsessed with the boundaries of our institution that we never end up solving those problems. So, so uh, you know, collaboration obviously is nothing new in, in higher education, but, but your collaborative effort in, this, in the UIA has actually produced real results just in a, in a couple of years. How have you been able to do it? What, how is this collaboration, what are some of the one or two keys of success uh, about this collaboration that has produced, uh, and maybe you could even reference mm-hmm. the, the results that you've seen in just the last couple of years. So we have now increased our low-income degrees by 29% in three years, or four years. Ac- and across the 11. Across the 11. Yeah. And that's important because we have 400,000 students, yep. 120,000 low-income. So we're talking big numbers because we have large public research intensives. And we've set ambitious goals. We're exceeding those goals. But we have not closed our achievement gap. So it's really important for me to say that because I think that people are trying to replicate the alliance without looking closely enough at the core, um, the core pillars of our success. So first, formed by the institutions, not by some foundation, not by some entity that has an idea and wants to just use institutions to get what they As want. As a conduit for yeah, their idea. Which, you Got know, it. I've seen those fail. Um, we have multiple funders. Instead of one funder, we have nine. That's really important because you need the balance so that it actually can be something that is led by the institutions, That it, but the institutions um, are actually challenged by the, found, the funder, foundations, but the foundations are also asked to step up. The other critical piece is every dollar we raise, the campuses match. 
So, so they have skin in the game. Skin then. in the game. And that is missing in most cases. Um, we also have a very focused team approach. So you're not allowed to come to anything we do as an individual. You come as a team. And we give the teams like a chief of staff, essentially, which is our fellows program. So we're actually trying to seed future leaders by giving them project management, change management support um, for these teams, which would otherwise not get anywhere because they always just borrow someone's executive assistance like one hour of the week. Um, And we also highlight and elevate the great stories of progress and help each other really unpack what the steps were. Instead of just being kind of a PR engine, we are actually focused on understanding what are the first steps, the first five steps. Um, if you, you know, if you, we're interested in creating a, a shared space of vulnerability and trust so people will actually share the hard stories of failure. And so that's a core piece of our culture. I would say the last piece is focus on failure and building real connection and community, which people are always like, why don't you get bigger? Well, it's actually hard to have a thousand friends that <laughs> right, you're going to just that strip yourself and... bare and be, you know what, we've had a million dollar failure on our campus, which is true of every campus. Um, and so we're interested in creating a culture that allows people to be honest with each other and actually help each other move faster. So I'm, my mind is ping, ping ponging all over the place with questions out of that. But I guess let's start with this. So in terms of replicating, you could create other collaboratives that have those same dynamics, but not add to this particular group of institutions because that would enlarge it too much. Is that, am I hearing you right on that? I don't know. I mean, honestly, we're in the space of, I don't know. We're in the space of um, everything we've done hadn't existed prior and we try it out and we test it and we see what happens. So we just held our first national summit to see if we could scale our model from 100 people to 400 people and actually lead to outcomes. So more than 75 universities from around the world came, and I believe that we created a fundamentally different experience than any higher education conference. And I believe that we are helping to raise the standards of higher education to expect better, uh, to expect that pedagogy actually be used in how we share ideas in higher education. And um, so that's a test. So we're going to see, did that actually lead to anything? And then, um, you know, there are other people who think it's the network. And I, you know, I think we're teasing out whether or not there are different modalities that you can be part of this, that you don't need to be a quote unquote member, that actually maybe it's that you are, you know, for me, I think about what has been transformative for hard things and what's an avatar for me is Weight Watchers Mm. which is I think the most effective improvement community of science or improvement science community in the world which is very basic and any human being can walk in off the street and feel like they're a part of something they have trust they they have a network to rely upon there's metrics and accountability data sharing rewarding when you make progress not when you're not shaming like I think there are some cultural elements there are other modes that people can drive change and I think we're trying to take inspiration from those and not just be rigid and think, oh, it's the network. I think that we need to test this out further and see kind of what other ideas we can pursue and how we can make this a national community of practice instead of little silos of communities. So so the question I want to then go deep on seems to be a critical piece of it, which is how do you create that uh, comfort with exposing and talking about your failures and being deep about not just sort of at a surface level, but tactically what happened and why did it happen and and, and unearthing that. How do you get presidents and and their teams who have egos uh, to to be comfortable in that setting? 
So I don't let presidents or provosts come to our events. That's really important. (laughs) Um, Second, we lead, um, we purposefully curate who is going to share first. And we set the the table from Brene Brown's work that you share your story with people who've earned the right to hear them. You're not allowed, you know, Chatham House rules. You're not allowed to repeat um, individual stories of, of, you know, who said that. But you can share the learning from that story. Um, it's It's, you know, we've screwed up. We've made mistakes. There, people have shared things they weren't supposed to. That's happened, um, and part of it is it's such a part of our culture that even that I share, I start by sharing the things that haven't worked. Right? Like it's really about you have to be serious about this. This can't be just like window dressing. And so I talk about all the things that went wrong and how messy and hard it was, and um, try and give that stuff away and help other people learn. And um, I, at the end of the day, though, I have fantastic people like the people who are running the alliance on their campuses they're it's not like a it's not like a casual thing like they really believe in this and they model it and they are fantastic and they really share and they've also seen the benefit the fruits of when people share their failures with you you can actually move so fast and you can actually do great things so Bridget uh, two questions one is uh, I think one of the most important things in in higher education is momentum so how do you keep the momentum going especially in maybe in the next couple of years you're going to have leadership changes on your on the, on the campuses within the alliance and and then a kind of a related question to that is the alliance something that goes on forever or or, or do you feel like at some point you'll achieve some of your goals and then you know higher education is very good about starting things but not stopping them so do you feel that there's an end to this life at some point I mean, I hope so. I actually think that we should achieve our objective. We should close our achievement gaps. We should close up shop. We should give away everything we learn. Um, but we haven't done that. And I'm not going to give up until we actually close the achievement gaps on these campuses. So we're, I'm very transparent about, you know, it hasn't worked yet. Um, it's worked on a lot of things that people are very, like, that, that are great signs of success. But um, we need to still keep going. I've already lost almost all my presidents. I have oh, okay. four of my founding presidents. I've lost almost every liaison I had. But even when those new people come in, they kind of drink the Kool-Aid. Well, it's it's their Kool-Aid, right? Okay. You let people mix the Kool-Aid. You let them decide what the flavor profile is, right? Um, the bouquet. <laughs> and so it's their culture. It's not mine. And, um, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've had some strong, good leaders who have really set um, set very public examples. Um, but I only have four of the original presidents that are going to be around after this. And um, they've all come on. And it's, it's, it's hard to say that this is not something that to become easily passionate about. Like, um, I've lost almost every program officer for every foundation. I'm, I've only been at this like five years. I'm like, where is everyone going? <laughs> is this a sign? Should I be should I be worried about this? Um, but honestly, if you meet the fellows, if you meet the liaisons, like I mean, it gives me such life to do this work with these people that um, I don't I don't know. I can't imagine not I can't imagine something that's more challenging and exciting and terrifying at the exact same time. And so until I find something more terrifying, <laughs> we're going to just keep doing this until it works. And you've made, maybe have not met your goal yet, but you've made terrific progress. So listen, uh, great work so far. And we're going to be uh, keen watchers of what's to come out of the institutions you work with. And thanks so much for joining us on Future You. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back uh, right after this. This episode of Future You was made possible with support from the Academy for Innovative Higher Education Leadership. The Academy is a partnership between Arizona State University and Georgetown University and is the premier training ground for those who aspire to senior leadership positions in higher education and those who want to lead organizational change at colleges and universities in the future. For more information and to apply to our next cohort, go to georgetown.asu.edu. This episode was also made possible with support from the Entangled Group, 
where innovation meets operations. Entangled is a venture studio focused on helping the education ecosystem transition to support the knowledge economy. We build companies and nonprofits that support higher education institutions as they innovate to carry out their critical missions for society in the 21st century. And welcome back to Future You. Coming off that great conversation with Bridget Burns of the University Innovation Alliance. Uh, and Jeff, uh, we're obviously here live at ASU GSV with the crowd noise swelling behind us at the GSV Marketplace. Uh, but great conversation with Bridget talking about how the universities have crafted uh, an opportunity for them to learn from each other and diffuse the knowledge that is going on at each of their campuses. You, of course, have covered many other groups that are cooperating within higher ed over the years and written about this notion of radical collaboration and things of that nature. How does what she's built in your mind compare to some of the other efforts that you've seen uh, out there? And what, right. Yeah. So, Michael, I, I wrote a paper last year called The Networked University, and, and, and in that I identified that the University Innovation Alliance is really part of this new wave of collaboration in higher education, which, as we noted in the conversation with her, is really nothing new. Uh, you know, you could go back to the 1950s when the Big Ten Academic Alliance started uh, usually about a year after they started the athletic conference, but mostly throughout history, a collaboration in higher education has been defined by geography. Uh, you know, colleges and universities were located near each other. Uh, it's been defined by mission. So, you know, all the privates got together or publics because they were in the same system uh, or, you know, all the Catholic universities uh, uh, got together uh, or they've been even defined by athletic conferences. So actually a lot of the current athletic conferences have tried to copy what the Big Ten Academic Alliance has had and they haven't been that successful uh, in doing that because the Big Ten Academic Alliance to me is the most successful one because many of the institutions are alike. Uh, they're, you know, all except for Northwestern are, are public. Uh, they tend from... Isn't that why from, they call it the Big Ten right. plus Northwestern? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I think that that has been helpful to me, uh, to them. And so one of the things that I think uh, uh, defines the University Innovation Alliance as something different is that it's, it's focused on trying to solve a problem. Right. Rather than just say we're going to come together to cooperate, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's saying we're, we're going to bring these universities together. Uh, you know, they all happen to be public, but we're going to bring them together about solving a problem. And that, to me, is the difference that we're now seeing. You know, she talked about the American Talent Initiative, uh, ATI, Unizen, you know, all these new collaborations we've seen in higher education over the last couple of years have been around trying to solve a specific problem, most of the time around student success, most of the time around low-income students. So to me, that is this new wave of, of, of collaboration in higher education and why I think actually these might be different. Right, because it's not just a bunch of presidents getting together saying, you know, how can we cooperate on back office operations and things like that. This is something that that's at the top of their list, and as a result, you know, the issues they're trying to fix, and as a result of that, they tend to take these more seriously, and they want to actually um, do something about them. The other thing, and she mentioned, you know, what she had seven, eight, nine funders. The other thing is that I think philanthropies and money that's trying to fix problems in higher education they have kind of a systems theory now of change and they don't want to necessarily fund one or two institutions here. They want to fund these networks of, of institutions. Yeah. And she's done a good job. I was struck by, you know, she, she's done a good job of building several funders, <laughs> investing in it, which, which makes it, she didn't say this, but it, it, it makes it, uh, sort of uh, impervious to one funder changing their strategic mindset or all of a sudden whipsawing and saying, no, we're now interested in this or it's all about that. It gives it a certain durability and focus from, uh, I suspect, from, from meeting to meeting and, and, and keeping the work stream really 
uh, around that problem, as you say, and, and you know we're all working on our on our different uh, interventions and then trying to scale them across. Uh, these different institutions and for, for those that don't know we didn't get to get into this as much but you can probably talk about it more uh, they've done a lot for example with uh, predictive analytics to help uh, drive uh, graduation and success improvements uh, among low-income and minority and first-gen students uh, things like that that you know Georgia State will pioneer something and they'll say holy cow did you see how many students that is allowed to persist and, and grow and, and, and complete and then other institutions will start to look at the nitty-gritty of that and actually implement it. Yeah, and I think two of the things that she pointed out in, in our conversation with us that I think has made the University Innovation Alliance successful and where I think others should copy from it, one was uh, they have skin in the game, right? So, yes. so the institutions have to put money on the table to match the money coming from uh, the foundations. And the other thing is they have these University Innovation uh, Fellows, right? They have essentially, as she called them, chiefs of staffs on each of the campuses that are responsible for putting these things in place. Because what's happening with a lot of these uh, collaborations in, in higher education is that, you know, it's people doing this work on the side of their desk, right? Yeah, and if it's not your full-time job, it's nobody's job. Yeah, right. And, right, and it, it falls to the bottom of your list every every week. And so, yeah, you might have a meeting or two a year where you gather with these other uh, presidents, you talk about great ideas, or, uh, you know, your other colleagues, you talk about these great ideas, and then you go home, um, and, and then, you know, 12 other things come up. Yeah, and, and she talked also about that. A lot of the uh, other alliances that have been out there historically bring people together. It's one person from the campus. And so then they go back into uh, their, their own school and they ha maybe have a new language to talk about something, a new idea, but no one else has that shared knowledge and understanding or time to learn from that person. And so uh, really bringing a team and having that team commitment, I think, makes a big difference. And then I was struck by one other thing, which was this... Uh, being willing to talk about failure and, and sort of being nakedly honest about struggles. And it seemed very uh, YPO or Young Presidents yep. Organization-like around being able to share what's actually uh, giving you problems or headaches. Uh, you know, of course, in YPO, it's not just professionally, it's personally as well. But, but that honesty and that safe space struck me as something that's really important to uh, allowing this to thrive. Well, and she's been able to uh, create that, right? She mentioned yeah. that they had their recent you know, national gathering, which was more public, uh, where they can share their stories, but most of the time they're just sharing it internally, um, and they're able to talk about those failures, and, and I think that's really critical um, in, in higher education. You know, one of the other things uh, that she talked about is, you know, they're, they're really focused on change internally. <laughs> Uh, and so, again, it goes back to theories of change that we've talked on this program many times. Is this going to happen from the inside or is it going to happen from the outside? Yeah, so am I the broken record disruptive innovation <laughs> guy that always says, hey, the outside has something to contribute to? Well, so I, I, here's my take, I guess, Jeff, which is uh, I think she's on to something that if you want to change existing institutions, having someone who understands the culture of those places can create teams and present them with new problems to build new culture uh, is is critically important. At the same time, I wouldn't be dismissive of those outside of higher ed who are able to see things in a totally novel way. We know if we want to get, you know, geek out on innovation, the biggest innovations occur when someone from an orthogonal uh, viewpoint looks at a problem, has enough perspective and knowledge of that domain, but can look at it very differently and create something brand new because they're just looking at it from a totally different lens. And so... I, I, I think we should just be careful of the black and white nature of, of either way of looking at this and say, hey, we've all got a lot to contribute, but it's clearly the case that if we want to move these big public institutions where the bulk of the students attend in American higher education, 
we need buy-in from internal if that's going to change. Well, so and, I think that's the And insight. she talked about that scale, right? You know, they represent 400,000 undergraduates among their 11 members, right? Which is no joke. That's no joke. Right? I mean, that's how you move things. And, you know, and we talked with Michael Crow recently around scale. I mean, that's how you're going to move the needle in big ways when we talk about, when we talk about graduation rates um, in, in the U.S. So yet another part of the piece of the uh, future you puzzle uh, coming to light here. Uh, thanks for listening, uh, of course. And if you enjoyed the podcast, if you enjoyed the pod, all the podcasts, please uh, subscribe wherever you are listening and rate us. And uh, we, we hope uh, we'll see you next week for more conversations on Future You. Future You.